Grab your Bibles now and let's open them together to read from the book of Jeremiah. Um, for those of you, if you're new to Grace Van, we study books here and we're in the book of Jeremiah. We're all the way up to chapter 20 and I'm going to read you uh, a passage from verse 7 to verse 13 out of this inspired work, a portion of this inspired book. And it reads like this, beginning at verse 7. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name... There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whisperings, terror is on every side, denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as, I, as a dread warrior, therefore my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me, they will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of of evildoers. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, from this inerrant book, endures forever. Guys, there's so much that I would like to say about this passage. Um, it has meant so much to me over the years, but we don't have a whole lot of time, a 35-minute little snippet here and there. Um, I would love to find other ways to talk further about it, but uh, we'll have to wait on that for, for another day. In some ways, this episode out of the life of Jeremiah would be more relevant to a room full of preachers because, as you know, Jeremiah was uh, a piece of the professional clergy. You know, he was a prophet. And this prophet... The spokesman for God is suffering. Um, is suffering from the pain of betrayal from his close friends. Did, did you notice that? Close friends have turned on him. By the, by the pain of being hated and rejected and despised. Um, and, and why? Why is he so despised? Well, he tried. He sought to be faithful to the truth of God. And that effort on his part left him alone and isolated. And we're going to see that even more as we get deeper in the book. But at this juncture in Jeremiah's life, 
I don't know that it could have gotten much worse. You know, I, I said um, it's more relevant to a room full of preachers, but I don't have a room full of preachers. What I have is um, a room full of people who have, at one time or the other, had their own experiences of suffering or perhaps betrayal by close friends. By the way, that's in the text, close friends. They, they've had their own sense of loss or rejection or disappointment or loneliness and perhaps even depression. Now, I want you to listen, folks. Jeremiah knew all about that. You know, I think that's one of the reasons that I so, I mean, for, there's lots of reasons, but that's one of the reasons that I so love this book. It, it doesn't give me fantasy or superheroes. It doesn't shield me or conceal from me the hard truths and then promise me some kind of health and wealth. It tells me the truth. It tells me what a man who's seeking to honor God by standing up for his word just might experience one day. (laughs) This? Yes. This. You know, let's face it, my dear friends, some of you, are perhaps in marriages that are so dry and empty and boring that, that all you can think about is uh, how you might be able to get out or, or how rejected you feel in your own marriage. Some of you are so lonely that you think, if I have to go home one more night to that empty house or that empty apartment, that I'm, I'm going to go crazy and I will do just about anything for companionship anything there are others which seems to be somewhat epidemic in our land who like Macbeth look at life and they say something like this they say life struts across the stage and is heard no more life is like a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing and so they contemplate suicide that's an epidemic, you know, in our land. And maybe some of, you have, some of you have too. Maybe not seriously, but the thought occurred and it scared you. Some of you have kids that are so prodigal, who have left a path of righteousness and have gone so far, perhaps even so strung out on drugs, and they are so unwilling to listen to you, to any kind of sane advice, because they seem hell-bent on their own self-destruction. And your heart is, it threatens to explode over grief over your children. And, And to make matters worse, Nobody seems to have any answers. And if I stood up here, or if anyone else stood up here and said, now, now, it's going to be all right, because as you know, every cloud has a silver lining. If I were to say something nonsensical like that, my buddy Jeremiah would say, don't listen to him, because he doesn't know what he's talking about. Because some clouds are black all the way through. And that's what you're seeing 
at this particular juncture in the life of Jeremiah, if, um, if Jeremiah was going to be your counselor, he would say to you something like this. He would say, um, do you know how many times I've wanted to run and get away? Like he said in chapter 9. Or he would say, um, do you know how many times I've said I quit, I can't take this anymore? Like here in chapter 20. Or, or do you know how many times I realized that I was so hated that I had to hide to keep from tasting even more public scorn or worse? Like in chapter 36. Or do you know how many times I've been so scared? And, and I've said, God, please don't ask me to go back there. Like in chapter 38. Or he would say, do you know how lonely feels? Because I sure do. That's this prophet talking. The professional clergy. And all of his, <coughs> pardon me, all of his sorrow, all of his suffering seems to come to a head. It seems to crest right here in chapter 20. You know, psychologists will tell you that um, one element in nearly all kinds and all degrees of depression is the element, the sense of disappointment. All depression has at least this component part of disappointment. Well, if, if that is true, then Jeremiah had the greatest disappointment of all. His disappointment was in God. Did you hear it? Folks, he was so disappointed in God that he uses some of the most violent and even blasphemous language that can be found anywhere in the Bible. If I could give you the sense that is a little bit closer to the Hebrew, he says, uh, God, you seduced me. You, uh, you enticed me. You ravished me. And I've had it. I'm done. You can get yourself another boy because I'm turning in my prophet's card. I quit. Jeremiah accuses God of promising but not delivering. Jeremiah, in this portion of his book, in essence, is calling God a liar. Then he goes on to mention the repeated rejection, the mockery. Did you see it? Everyone mocks me. In verse 10, let me read that. I just want to read verse 10. Listen to this. For I hear many whispering. Terror is on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him, say all of my close friends. Watching for my fall. 
Perhaps he will be deceived and we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. Do you know what that is, ladies and gentlemen? That's paranoia. He's so afraid. And he blames it all on God. It's your fault. Oh Lord, you're the one that's deceived me. Oh, it's one thing to be deceived by Jimmy Young. But it's another thing to be deceived by God. And that's what he says. I have been misled. And who misled you, Jeremiah? God did. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're experiencing any measure of loneliness or disappointment or rejection or fear or bitterness or depression, then I want you to know this. My friend Jeremiah, he sat there before. This is the prophet, Jeremiah, which is the prophet that Jesus quotes more in the New Testament than any other. And this prophet is in the throes of depression. Well, okay then, Jeremiah, why? Why, why, why did you, how did you get yourself here? I mean, what, 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 did you, what, what happened? Well, we, we know the answer to that. He sought to represent God truly. And it brought him here. Well, then maybe I should ask, how? How did you endure all this, Jeremiah? <clears throat> Before I answer my own question, let, let me say this, guys. You know that I have on numerous occasions disclaimed any ability to be a counselor. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that the best counseling always comes from the pulpit. Well, if that's true, the best counsel that has ever come out of this pulpit, you're about to get it. So you might want to listen. So here's the question. How, Jeremiah? How did you endure all this okay first guys there's four little steps i hate to but four little steps that i want to mention one of them i'm going to save to next week so let me mention three this morning first some of my greatest heroes folks are men who dealt regularly often with depression winston churchill uh, underwent severe bouts of depression. Charles Spurgeon, the greatest preacher to ever occupy a pulpit, would um, go for weeks in darkness and melancholy such that he would leave London. He would make his way to the southern coast of France in Mentone, France, and he would stay there for weeks until the depression lifted. <clears throat> Martin Luther is another man that experienced depression. But even more poignantly so than those three men, of my, the heroes of mine, are some of the heroes that are mentioned here in the Bible who experience depression. How about this name? Moses. Numbers chapter 11, he asked God to kill him. 
So does Job and Elijah. Jonah prayed to die twice. David writes one of his psalms where the key line is, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? But the one who I guess exceeded them all is Paul. Folks, the Apostle Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians mentioned situations where he feared for his life. I'm just going to read you one of them. This is in chapter 11. He says, um, In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And listen to this statement, folks. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety. There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Day after day, Paul wrestled with an anxious soul because of his concern for what was going on in the churches. Now, folks, I would say to you that Jeremiah exceeds them all. And the reason that I say that is because at the bottom of his barrel, he blasphemes. Jeremiah hit rock bottom. But his experience and and that of these other men, the reason I mention them is because I hope there will be a redemptive value for you. I'm hoping that knowing of their experiences will help those of you who intermittently and periodically wrestle with your own depression. Ladies and gentlemen, I would say to you that the very fact that the book of Jeremiah is even in the Bible, um, and not only is his book in the Bible, but that God went on to use him in spite of his depression and in spite of his blasphemy, that ought to be of some redemptive value to you who suffer. Step one in dealing with my own is to be reminded that better men than I have wrestled with this thing called depression. And that doesn't make me some kind of substandard Christian. Step two. I wondered if you noticed this, but no matter how far Jeremiah went down, at the very bottom, he's still talking to God. What, what Jeremiah had to say, that accusation that he lied to me and that you're a deceiver and all that, what, 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 what Jeremiah had to say, he said to God, to his face, not behind his back. So here's the point. In the midst of your own, Keep talking. Keep talking to God and, 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 and try to find something to thank Him for, even if it is only that everything that has not yet happened to you. Find some 
some square inch, some square foot, some square yard that you can stand on that will provide a little bit of stability so that you can praise God. Ladies and gentlemen, I would say to you, the fact that Jeremiah vented his anger at God is a measurement of his faith, not his unbelief. Skeptics talk bad about God. Believers talk to God. In no matter what circumstance in which they find themselves. So keep talking. Find something that you can thank him for. And third, the third step. And I would suggest to you, this is the crux of the issue. This is, this is how Jeremiah ultimately got out of his own depression. Here's how he did it. He found something on the inside. Something that was like fire burning in his bones. And he realized that as he contemplated all of this anger that he had for God and this disappointment, <clears throat> he realized... Um, that my contemplating quitting, that I'll no longer speak in the name of Yahweh anymore, he realized or came to the realization that I can't hold this back. He says, I can't quit. Look at verse 9. And I cannot. I want to say, I'm done. I'm not going to say anymore. That's it. No more is coming from my mouth in the name of Yahweh. And he said, when I say I will no more speak in the name of Yahweh, I find that there's something burning. And I cannot hold it in. I cannot. What was that? What was that that he could not hold in any longer. Get this, ladies and gentlemen. It was the words of Yahweh. The very words that got him into the mess in the first place are also the words by which he got out of his own depression. I'm not going to speak in his name anymore. I can't do that. The only thing I have are the words that he gave me. Every time I want to run, his words stop me. Every time I want to quit, his words would not allow me. Every time I want to do something stupid, his word instructs me. And every time I want to say, I wish this was all over, I find that there is a fire in my bones. 
So the very thing that caused the conflict in the first place is also how I survived. What makes me such a pariah in my own culture? The very words that deliver me from my depression. The words that I previously spoke that created the derision and the mocking are the words on which I now stand to get me out of my own sense of despondency. My friends, do you have any of that on the inside? Does does God's word have any does it, does it have the final say in all that you think and all that you, you do and in all your choices and decision making? Is there any fire in your bones? Is there a reservoir, some kind of arsenal of God's words down deep inside you from which you might draw that will lead you out of your own sense of despair? If not, I would suggest to you, my friend, that the enemy of our souls will devour you. Guys, as believers, as Christians, we are benefactors of the new covenant. And do you know what one of the the features of the new covenant is? It is that he has written his word on our hearts. And the Holy Spirit has taken up residence there. Now, do you know what he wrote? Do you know what he said and what he's promised and, and, and what he loves and what he hates? Because if you don't, life can smush you like a grape. It's that word that tethers us to sanity. And his word is more real than all of my out-of-control emotions. His word is more reliable than any emotion that I might be experiencing even right now. Although at the moment, I may be temporarily insane like Jeremiah who would say these things to God. But the way that we are restored to sanity is the same for us as it was for Jeremiah. That fire in our bones. And so it was that Jeremiah returned to those words which he thought for a time I will never speak again only to discover that those words were the remedy. For his own soul's discouragement. Those were the words that restored me to sanity. Folks, the gospel is something that offers you God's incarnate word, and his name is Jesus Christ. Embrace him. Embrace him who alone can grant you a fire in your bones. I want to do one more thing, kind of as a postscript, and we're done. It's from the book of Lamentations. Do you know who wrote the book of Lamentations? 
that would be Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote two books, Jeremiah and Lamentations. But Lamentations was written after the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem. After the Babylonians had burned Jerusalem to the ground, Jeremiah writes Lamentations. And so he's walking around the city one day and he's stepping over dead bodies, bodies of people that he knew, friends of his. And then he writes this book, Lamentations. Let me read you the first three verses. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks among all her lovers. She has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. He goes on like like that for two chapters, talking about the city and how forlorn is Jerusalem now that she's been destroyed. Then he gets real personal in chapter 3, and he says this about himself. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Jeremiah is back into a period of depression. And then he says in verse 21 of chapter 3, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What, Jeremiah? What did you call to mind? Those words. These words that were to him like fire in his bones. Folks, that all begins when I fling myself upon the cross of Jesus Christ. Have you done that? And I can tell you, you are empty. And it is a very real possibility that one day life will smush you like a grape. Come to Christ. Our Father, would you do that? Would you, would you draw men and women to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Would you allow them to see their own emptiness? That there is in their bones nothing. And that there is no reservoir from which to draw. No arsenal that will provide means by which I might fight my own battles do that father bring men to us and women to a saving knowledge of jesus christ even right now for the rest of us O oh god who wrestle intermittently and periodically with our own sense of despair would you fan that flame of fire in our bones 
Do that, O oh God, every time we are together as a congregation and as a small group. Might your people leave having that flame fanned. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.